take notes. Whoa, there it is. Uh, you can take notes. You can follow along. You can uh, write down questions to ask. Uh, whatever it is you feel in your heart's content, it also makes for a very good coloring page when the pastor gets a little boring. Um, I assume everybody got an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> yes, the farmers all laugh. Um, let's uh, pray in preparation for the message. If you need a copy of the thing, just raise your hand, and it looks like uh, Rose is handing them out. Thank you so much, Rose. You are awesome. Uh, Abby's handing out pens. So if you need one, raise your hand, and she will bring it to you. Uh, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Uh, and I am missing my note sheets, which I don't often use, but if I use them, I want to have them. Da, da, da. Yo. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, pray that you would be with uh, me this morning. Help me to, help me to preach the gospel faithfully. Um, I, uh, I pray that you would help me to um, speak words that come from you and, and not my words. Uh, Lord, uh, pray that, that the time of uh, study and prayer and preparation for, for uh, preaching the gospel this morning would be a time that would... would uh, just be me surrendering to you and, and that it would come out today. Um, pray for your grace and your mercy on me and on the folks who are here. I pray for hearts that are uh, ready, soil to receive your, uh, the seeds of your word, the seeds of your gospel. And I pray that uh, you would create a, uh, a harvest this morning um, that comes just, just out of your word being spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, uh, I've gone back and forth, and our little kids have headed out to Children's Church. All right? And everybody has an outline and a pencil and or pen that wanted one, right? Some maybe even two or have them, whether you wanted one or not. Um, my, uh, all right. So I've got to take a quick second, because I assume that the Wees are watching online. I got a ton of harassment from Rebecca about how I should be drinking out of the coffee mug she found for me. Uh, and, and so this is my pastor appreciation uh, uh, month gift. And, and Rebecca picked it out and was, I think, maybe a little disappointed she didn't get to see me get it. And she uh, very much uh, wanted to see me drink out of it. And so, uh, yeah, here we are. Um, I've been talking uh, with... Uh, TJ this morning about uh, video game bugs, and the title of the sermon this week is, It's a Bug, or It's Not a Feature, It's a Bug, and that's a, a meme that you encounter on the internets on occasion. Um, it's associated with this idea that, that sometimes there are undocumented features in software or video games that um, are supposed to be there, and whether or not they're supposed to be there is up for grabs. Um, and like, for example, you might find an enormous coffee mug in the middle of a video game and think, well, that's a ridiculous bug. Um, or you might, uh, you might I, I was talking with Khaled, and this is what I really wanted to use as an illustration this morning, was uh, the beeping noise that the auto steer makes at the end of the field that wakes you up. 
um, you know, which is an annoying bug. They should take that beep out and let, let you nap, right? Um, but it's not, of course, a bug. It's a feature. It, it is a beeping to wake you up so that you do steer the one part of the field that you have to steer. Um, and, and so this idea, like it is a feature, not a bug, is something that seems not so right that is built in on purpose. Everybody with me? Um, I actually brought along a kettlebell that's adjustable weight, and I was going to talk about the my complaint about it, that the bigger the number, the more effective it is. But the problem is when you pick the bigger numbers, it just gets heavier. And that is a terrible design feature. <laughs> it makes it really hard to use the thing, which, of course, is a feature, not a bug. Um, in the Christian life, um, there is a feature that is often perceived as a bug that we are going to talk about today. And it's going to come right out in the book of Acts in our 14th chapter. So if you want to find that in your Bible, you can, uh, you can read it on your own or you can read it on the screen. But I do recommend finding it on your own. Um, I have a quote, two quotes, actually. And originally I was feeling really mean-spirited and my first quote was going to be a Joel Osteen quote. Uh, but I left it out because I realized it was just me being petty. Uh, this is from Spurgeon. Uh, this is, I bear willing witness that I owe more to the fire, the hammer, and the file than to anything else in the Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod. When my schoolroom is darkened, I see the most. Um, and I think he's actually playing off of a quote from a Puritan. Uh, this is Samuel Rutherford. Praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. The hammer molds us, the file sharpens us, and the fire tempers us. Um, the reality is that difficulty in the Christian life, we often look at it and say, uh, hey, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. God's supposed to make everything easy. But in reality... Following God and walking with Christ and going through the process of discipling and sanctification, which is like learning to be like Jesus and then being cleansed of our sin and our old self and everything else. Number one, it's hard and it can be painful and it can be frustrating, but it is a feature. It's bad news, right? <laughs> and actually, my Joel Osteen quote was in pink and and everything else, but uh, and and it was hey everything's puppy dogs and roses and lollipops right, um, but it's not. Um, sometimes following Jesus is hard, and and we lose sight of that, especially in our culture. If you're going to fall asleep, um, despite your extra hour of sleep this morning, um, this despite daylight savings blessing, um, the main idea, Josh, stay awake one second. The main idea is that hard times are a feature, not a bug, of discipleship. And we're going to see that in Paul's words, and i got a lot I want to cover. I'm going to try and do it really fast so that I don't go too long. Um, I do have a map. Uh, we're in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey in the book of Acts, and he's in Asia Minor. And by the way, um, this area right here is Galatia. So when you read the book of Galatians, it's in reference to all of this. Everybody with me? I remember my laser pointer. I had to put a map in just for this purpose. 
Um, <laughs> but Paul has been following this little like line, and conveniently, like if you go to Greece, there's this little arrow that's a natural feature, and Paul just followed it. That's why it's on the map. Nothing? Really? <laughs> Nothing? That was hilarious. Um, he started in Antioch, encountering a lot of difficulty, right? And then he went to Iconium, and on his way to, like, he gets to Iconium, and he starts preaching, and the jerks from Antioch followed him. And they showed up in Iconium and created difficulty for him. And then he went to Lystra, and the guys from Antioch and the guys from Iconium followed him to Lystra. <laughs> and so, like, like, understand, these guys have been following him for hundreds of miles, And these aren't people driving hundreds of miles. They are walking hundreds of miles to keep up with Paul and make his life hard. Okay? Um, I I don't know if any of y'all know somebody that vindictive and horrible. Right? They do exist. Don't point. Um, But these are the guys that are following Paul. And I kind of wonder if to some degree he's out there preaching and he looks over and he's like, Oh, for crying out loud. Those guys. Right. But these guys have been following him and following and following him. And he finally so he's in Lystra and that's where our text picks up. This is verse 19. He's been preaching there. There's a huge reaction because of a miraculous healing that Paul performs. And he's starting to make disciples. And he's preaching. He's got crowds. They tried to worship him and he kind of pushed him back off of that. He's like, hey, guys, don't worship me. And that might be an explanation here because there are a lot of people who Having wanted to worship Paul, we're sort of rebuked for it, and they might be kind of ticked off. Uh, we don't really know. But we do know, then, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. Now, there are a couple of really quick things. Um, first off, this is a death sentence. And so if you're following along, this is Paul has endured a death sentence like put out on him by people who have been chasing him like across Galatia. Okay. He is, um, he is not having a good day. Uh, stoning was a specifically Jewish punishment. And so it's likely the case that the Jews carried out this thing. Um, and having done it in the city. Now here's kind of a funny thing. This is how low of an opinion the Jews had of the pagans that were on their team. They stoned him in the city because like you wouldn't stone a person in a Jewish city because it made the city unclean. You would take them out of the city and execute them there. Right. (laughs) But they did it in the city because they're like, well, your house, it's pretty, pretty trashy anyway. Let's just go ahead and kill him right here. Um, So they kill like they, they stone Paul. And they drag him out of the city and, and leave him for dead. Um, now, there's a couple of phrases here I want to point out. First off, thinking he was dead, laser pointer. Um, there are scholars who will read that line and say, oh, this means that Paul wasn't actually dead. They just thought he was dead. He was mostly dead, but not all dead. Um, in the next verse, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, Paul rose up and went back into the city and rose up. The phrase that's used there in Greek is almost exclusively used for people who are dead and coming back to life. Okay. And so there's actually some pretty good, like not exclusively, but almost exclusively. So some pretty good argument that one or the other could be true. And I think that's intentional. It's a feature, not a bug that, 
the text is sort of ambiguous. And I'll explain why in a second. But understand, Paul has been hit with rocks. They usually would start with the big ones until they broke one of your limbs and got you down. And then they would throw smaller ones until you were dead, right? Sometimes they would throw you off a cliff first. I'm guessing there was no cliff in the middle of the town. I haven't been there. Um, So... Uh, We're going to jump over to Galatians. This is a letter Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. Remember on the map where I laser pointed? Um, So these are people who were in the area, and some of them probably saw Paul stoned and were around him in the aftermath. And Paul says to him at the end of the letter, he's like, listen, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of Bible scholars that argue um, like, like, and it's not a definite, because some of this is conjecture, right? And I'm going to offer you a bit of conjecture today, but it's conjecture that fits really well and isn't heretical. Like, I'm not going to say anything crazy, okay? But it, some of this is guessing. Um, one of the guesses they offer is, these guys saw Paul executed. They saw Paul hit with rocks. And Paul carried on him marks that they knew were there, and they saw them happen. And so Paul is saying, listen, you saw this happen, and so back off. You know what I will go through for the gospel. Everybody with me? Um, One of the ideas there is that maybe there was lasting effect or lasting impact as a result of him having been stoned. I'm guessing that a lot of these nasty punishments Paul underwent carried with them lasting effects, if not scars, um, certainly aches and pains and like skin that's easily broken. He might have, uh, there's a lot of people who believe that Paul went blind toward the end of his life uh, and other things. So we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians. Paul is arguing with these guys who have invaded the church in Corinth and they are preaching a false gospel and they're presenting themselves as super apostles. Like you can imagine super apostles. And Paul's like, look, these guys got nothing on me. And he's like, if you're going to be impressed by their bragging, hear my bragging. And Paul goes through his credentials, and he just blows them out of the water. He's like, look, are they Jews? I am. Are, did they obey the law? I did it better. Do they serve Jesus? I've done that better. I've preached more. I've taught more. I've traveled more. And he says, listen, I am nuts for talking like this, but I'm being foolish for your sake. What does that mean? Well, Paul's saying, listen, if I'm going to brag about stuff, it's just going to puff me up and it's going to take our eyes away from Jesus, right? And whenever I brag, I take the eyes of the world away from Jesus and onto myself. And so what Paul will do is he'll say, listen, this is about Christ. And he says, but listen, if these guys are going to brag, I'll brag too and I'll do it better. Are these servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned. Once I was stoned. Like again, right? He points back to this instance as a significant event because getting stoned like again Death sentence. You know, it's like, oh, I went to the electric chair, but it's all right. I got better. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So Paul is listing this stuff off. He mentions the stoning. Now, he goes on, and 
just humor me for a second. There's a purpose to this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I'm going to say that again. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, and this was earlier in the book of Acts, the governor under King Aradius uh, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul mentions this because he considers it to be one of the most humiliating moments of his life, but also, and I didn't realize this until this week, this is a, like he's, he's about to play out. He's about to play out a wordplay, and this is a neat one. I was lowered down, right? In escaping, in my weakness, I had to be lowered down out of the walls. And then we jump on to 12. And here's the meat of it. And follow me here, because this is where I'm going to start guessing a little bit. But I think it works. Now follow. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. It is possible that visions and revelations is maybe a logo or a, a motto of the guys he's arguing against. But this is definitely, there are modern churches that this is what they're all about. Like, we're all about visions and revelations. This is like um, Benny Hinn does this, right? Um, you know, it's all about the vision I had. It's all about this, you know, God told me that. And a lot of times that stuff is, is silliness. And Paul is arguing, I'm not saying always. Mind you, do not hear me saying that. But it is often the case that people abuse that. And that's the case here in Corinth. And Paul is saying, listen, I will go on to this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, caught up means he didn't go there himself. He didn't climb there. He didn't put in a bunch of work praying and meditating. He was brought up there. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, there's a bit of ambiguity. Was he dead? Was he not dead? I don't know. Right? Sound familiar? Huh. I know this guy that went up to heaven. Might have been dead, might not have been dead. Not sure. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, there's another little tip here in the language. The word paradise, right, means, is like a borrowed word from like the Persian language, and it means park, which is kind of funny, right? Um, park, but the Jews had borrowed park and made it into the place you go when you die, right? And so Paul is saying, this guy I know 14 years ago, like may have died, may not have died, but either way, he went and stood in the presence of God and he saw things and he heard things and it can't even be expressed. It is so amazing. There is no heaven is for real book happening here. This is Paul saying, a guy I know went to heaven. A guy I know may have been dead, may have been alive, but he went to heaven. Um, oh, my slide's dead. Nabbit. There it is. Um, so when he heard and saw things he was not permitted to tell, I will boast about a man like that, 
but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Now, Paul is going to do something here. He's about to show his cards, okay? It was a very common practice in the early church and amongst ancient Jews when they would have a vision that was, like, really exceptional, they would talk about somebody else, right? I didn't do this, but this guy I know. And it was a way of sort of diverting attention from yourself. How do we know that might be the case here? Well, um, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or because of these surpassingly great revelation. Therefore, in order to keep me from conceit, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. So you see what he did there? He's like, oh, yeah, I knew a guy who went up to heaven. Maybe he died. Maybe he didn't. And I wouldn't brag about such a thing because that would be foolish. But I'm going to tell you, because of these great revelations I had, a messenger from Satan was sent to me. What did he just say? That was me. Right? Like he, you know, sort of shuffle steps there and puts himself out there, but puts himself out there under a, under a cloak. And he says, listen, I saw heaven dead or alive, but one way or the other, um, because I saw this, God brought me low with this thorn in my flesh. Now, there's a purpose to this, okay? There are some Bible scholars that would argue, and I'm actually in this camp, so um, there's some pluses, there's some minuses, it is a guess. But some scholars will argue that Paul was killed outside of Lystra, that Paul lay there dead, and that Paul was resuscitated and moved on, right? And the text could suggest either, right? The timeline, depending on how you read it, is really tight, but it can fit, okay? But if that happened, then a thorn was given to him so he wouldn't be arrogant. He was tormented by this thorn in his flesh, maybe a mark on his body that's a remnant of this execution he suffered, an ongoing pain like arthritis or whatever, like, like this tormentor, this messenger from Satan. And, like, it's, again, a guess. But what if Paul came out of there, and what if Paul was killed, and what if Paul saw heaven, and then Paul came back? I would think this would be pumping the gas for this guy, right? Paul has no doubt, I don't care what I'm going to go through, I'm getting back there, right? I don't care what it takes, I'm getting back there. Is this the sermon about heaven? Nope. This is a sermon about pain. But watch this. What if Paul did this? Again, it's a what if. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think it's a terrible um, wrong. If it is wrong, it is a guess. Uh, three times I pleaded, and here's the meat of it. Here's the important part. By the way, uh, I did say, so we have one instance where Paul is brought low in a basket, and that's, he references himself. And then the next time, it's another guy who's brought up. Right? And Paul does it intentionally because he's like, look, I belong in the low spot. Jesus is in the high spot. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does that mean? It means when Paul stumbles, 
God carries him. Right? And the footprints on the beach, like poem, which is not scripture, the parts of our lives when we're really doing amazing stuff are the times when we're riding piggyback on Jesus. Right? It's the time where he is doing the work. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? In Paul's stoning, in the suffering that he experienced, in my times of struggle, in your times of struggle, these are the moments where God's strength shows through. These are the moments where I am forced to back up and say, all right, God, I can't do this. It's all you. These are the moments when Jesus does the best work. Why? Because we get out of the way. Because we step back and say, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. I can't do this. I'm sorry. I can't believe I just said that. (laughs) I need a little more. And all of us, this is the truth. When I am weak, then I am strong. When we are weak, when we struggle, our strength shows through. Not our strength, but his strength. Um, Paul viewed work. Paul viewed strength as a product of brokenness and reliance on God. And that makes sense if you think about it. Did I save myself from my sin? No. Christ saved me because he died for me. And I need him to save me. Do I speak words that help people like like hear the gospel? I speak words, but my words are empty and powerless. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work. Anything that you and I do that glorifies God is a product of Christ being strong. It's a product of our brokenness and reliance on God, which I think is one of the reasons that that the church struggles because we perceive ourselves as stronger than we should be or we look to politicians or to gimmicks or books or something fancy instead of like dropping to our knees and begging God to do work. Like learning how to humble ourselves and live like, like in the suffering place so that God can be in control. But, this is Paul here, okay? Back to Lyconium. Paul is laying there mostly dead, or maybe all dead. It's tough to say. Um, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. That phrase, got up there, means basically rose from the dead in most instances, though sometimes it means get, get up. Uh, it is... Yeah, that's the tension, right? Maybe, maybe not. Whether in the body or not in the body. Um, The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Um, He traveled the next day, which means that Paul, despite having been kind of dead, was able to go somewhere else. Um, It's a strong indication that Paul was not, like, carried back into the city. There was some sort of miraculous thing that took place, whether it's a partial healing or whatever, Um, But he goes on to the next city. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. By the way, um, if I'm not mistaken, they've left Galatia now and nobody bothers them because they don't have the political strength in the next state to do what they want. And so, like, they can kind of just preach freely and they get away with it. Uh, Nobody follows them that far. Uh, They created a large or they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is a quote. And we know this because the way that Luke writes it, it is a quote. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
read that again. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. We there, because I looked it up, I thought, oh, maybe Paul means we as in like me and the guys standing around me. But the word we there, like because there's like y'all, you, all, and then y'all, and then all y'all are ways that Greek works, right? Like you can have multiple iterations of words that have different weight. We means we all. He's pointing to everybody in the room. Some people, by the way, argue that this is an indication that Luke is present because it says we. Uh, I don't think that really holds water personally. Um, But we must go through hardship to enter the kingdom of God. Um, This has got to carry a ton of extra weight because these guys have watched Paul, like, maybe get killed. They've watched him beaten. They've watched him harassed. They've watched him chased. They've watched him chased for hundreds and hundreds of miles in the name of the gospel. And these guys, you think they, oh, well, we're done persecuting now that Paul is gone. No, they probably turned around and went after these churches next. And they held firm, right? Paul taught, and that's what he's doing right here. He's not talking about salvation. This is not a salvation text. He is discipling. He is teaching them and saying, guys, listen, here is how you do the job. Discipling is not... I, actually, I was being told the difference this morning between a driver and an operator of a combine. I still don't know which is which, but I do know that one knows what's going on and the other is just sitting there. Sound right? Um, Paul is transitioning these guys from guys who have entered the combine and are present, they are saved, to operators, is that it, of the Christian life. He is moving them to a harder place. And part of that movement is, guys, it's going to be hard. Well, what do you mean? Does that mean i got to get beat up? Does that mean somebody has to kill me? Does that mean somebody, I don't know. It means, actually, we'll get to this in a second. Paul is teaching about discipleship and spiritual growth is the point. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. By the way, with prayer and fasting, a few weeks ago at the very beginning of the missionary journey, they were praying and fasting. And we come to the end and they are praying and fasting. Why does it matter? Because it's a bookend and I suspect it was a feature throughout. They were praying and fasting throughout and God was with them. Why? Because it was not Paul or Barnabas or anybody else that was doing the work. It was God. It was them saying, God, we need you to do this. God, we need you to carry the weight. God, we need you to pick up the stuff and do the heavy lifting. Now, we're going to go into key concepts here. I know there's a lot of text and there's a lot of stuff, and I will do my best to kind of summarize my point here. First off, we are redeemed by grace, which is free through the cross and the resurrection. Everything I say after this, it is important to bring this to the forefront. You do not go to heaven. You are not acceptable to God because you are a rock star in the Christian faith. Everybody with me? Jesus died for my sins because I could do nothing to save myself. And I have faith in him and I am a new creation because of it. But having been redeemed, we begin the process called sanctification. It should be a four-letter word. Right? God sanctify me should be a scarier prayer than God teach me patience. Because sanctification is the process of cleaning out everything that doesn't belong. 
If I have gold and the gold is impure, how do I make the gold pure? I'll melt it. There's the file and the fire and the hammer that God changes us. The truth is, my, like alcoholism, was about my pride. It was about my unwillingness to lean on God. It was about my unwillingness to be humble and admit that I was struggling. It was about a whole bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with Jesus. And the more I refused to lean on Christ in my hardship, the more I fell. And the more I stumbled. And the more broken I became. And sanctification involved burning all of that out of me. You know how much fun that was? It was I'm willing to bet that I could walk around this room and have everybody in this room who has been following Christ for any number of years say, this is how God broke this out of me. This is how God stripped this out of me. This is how I crucify my flesh every day. Because it's something Paul tells us to do. If it was easy, it wouldn't be called crucify. I take the old man. I take the desire to you know, put that guy in its place. I take the desire to have it all or to be it all or to worship myself or to brag or whatever, and I nail it to a cross. But that's me I'm nailing to the cross. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus, and it is hard, and it burns. When Paul talks about having to go through hardship to enter heaven, he's talking about difficulty that changes us. And by the way, this is, um, like, it is not just the stuff of, like, burning it out of me, but it is also me learning to lean on him. When I have a hard day, I can complain. Anybody complain? Anybody pro at complaining? Let's just go ahead and do that. Anybody spend 90% of 2020 complaining? (laughs) Um, Anybody spend 75% of your married life complaining? No, don't say that. Um, (laughs) We can complain and we can gripe and we can, you know, grumble and and we can do all of this stuff. Or we can back up and say, Lord, I know this is hard. I know it's suffering. Work in it. You carry the weight because I'm weak. I need you to be strong. There's that dumb meme that's going around the internet. Everybody's seen it on Facebook, right? You know, I, the devil whispered to me, you can't face the storm. And I whispered back, I am the storm. That's a bunch of nonsense. I am only a storm in the sense that I make a mess of everything I touch. Christ is the storm. The Holy Spirit blowing through my life is the storm. When the devil whispers to me, the only thing I can do is run to the strength of Jesus. And that hurts. You know why? Because I want to do everything. Right? I want to brag about how great I am at doing everything. There are times that we will be persecuted, made fun of. You know, thrown down, we'll experience financial difficulty. That's actually happening right now. There are people being arrested because, you know, of the gospel. Maybe not as much here in the United States, but it is all over the world. People are persecuted. And you know what? In those moments when they lean on Christ, Christ's strength is made perfect in their weakness. And that hurts. Should we be happy that we hurt? No. When we experience pain, when we experience headaches and arthritis, when we experience rejection, 
when we experience mockery or mistreatment, when we experience struggle in our relationships, when we experience any of that stuff, there's a part of us that should say, this is awful, I don't want this. And the other half of us should say, Lord, I know you experienced this too. Help me. Lord, I know you went through this too. Help me to put my own thing down and carry me through this. Sounds fun, right? Wow, everybody got quiet. I'm either like putting everyone to sleep or... Uh, so what do we do with that? First off, we go to the Lord in prayer. And we reflect on it in terms of who we are in Christ. Um, what does that mean? That means, Lord, I belong to you. If it is your will that I suffer today, then I'll do it and I'll do it gratefully. But please take it off me. I don't want this. Right? Paul said, take this thorn away from me. And God said, no. And he said, all right, let's enjoy it. Christ said, let this cup pass my lips, but not my will, yours. Yeah. The cup of grace is so large, it dribbles down my cheeks. We have to learn to lean on Christ in times that we experience weakness. For the more we learn to lean on him, the stronger we are. Discipleship and sanctification is the process of learning to lean on Christ. It's the process of tearing out the broken parts, melting them away, chiseling on them, filing them away, as Spurgeon would say, and like becoming like Christ. And finally, prayer, silence, reading the scriptures, hearing the word, forgiving people who hurt you, um, serving folks, praising God in worship, fellowshipping, spending time talking to your brothers and sisters, and not just talking to them, saying, you know what? I am struggling in this area. Anybody do that often? I am struggling with reading my word. I am struggling with spending money I shouldn't. I am struggling with being angry and bitter. I am struggling with pornography. I am struggling with gossip. That's a real one, by the way. I know nobody here has that problem. But, like, I'm struggling with gossiping. I'm struggling with my fear. I'm struggling with my anxiety. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Talking to each other and confessing our sins. These are tools in this spiritual tool chest. They are tools in the process of sanctification and working through pain. Pain does not have to be meaningless. It can have meaning. It can have purpose. As we're told in Romans, God works through all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Meaning, if I'm in Christ, if I look to Christ, bad things can glorify him and can grow me. Or they can break me. One of the tools we have in our tool chest, and i got to call someone to bring it forward, um, is the Lord's Supper, is the ordinances. We do this in um, our church as an open communion. Like, we do open communion. We encourage, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are somebody who belongs to Jesus... Um, I'm going to turn this. Let me know if it's pointing the right way. Um, Good. All right. Uh, If you're in Christ, if you're a person who belongs to Jesus, if you have been made new through the broken body and blood of Christ, um, we gather and we eat the bread and we drink the the blood of Christ. We drink the juice in this church. um, And we remember, like, I didn't save myself. Christ was broken and his blood was shed for me. I did not 
do any of the work that needed to be done. Christ did it on my behalf. And as we consume it, we remember, I need Christ to be forgiven. I need Christ to be sanctified. When I suffer, when I die a little bit every day, that's my opportunity to know Christ more. And so if you're a believer in Christ, come forward. We're not passing it around like there's COVID everywhere and uh, you know, like we're trying to be a little responsible and like we're trying to be respectful of everybody. Um, so come on forward and take it. Uh, I will have Josh release you by Rose. Can you do that? Why don't you come with me and we'll do it. Um, come forward, take the elements. Um, since Josh and I are releasing you, nobody will be here to say this is the body and blood of Christ broken for you. This is God's grace broken for you. It is not magic. It is a reminder that Jesus poured out his blood to save you, that Jesus carried you out of the pit you lived in, that when you laid there dead, he brought you to life through his suffering, and he brought you to life for the park we're all going to. So let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. Do you have music we're going to play, or is somebody going to come up and play piano? Hey, TJ. I think there'll be music.
Thanks, TJ. Um, as we uh, as we finish up, we're going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to go back to my my two quotes from the beginning. Um, again, from Spurgeon, I bear wi- willing witness that I owe more to the fire, the hammer, and the file than to anything else in the Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have learned anything except through the rod, which is when my schoolroom is darkened, I see the most. And then from the Puritan fella, uh, praise God for the hammer, for the file, and for the furnace. The hammer molds us, the file sharpens us, and the fire tempers us. Um, like Paul stoned on that um, on that morning in, or afternoon or whenever it was in in Galatia and and all of us as we go out of this place, um, my challenge for you is to to submit to that, submit to God's shaping and His changing. When you experience challenge or stress or frustration or whatever, like pray and thank God for it. Um, you can mourn, you can cry, you can weep, you can do whatever it is you need to do, but also say, God, thank you, make me into who I'm supposed to be. Let's close in prayer and. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would go forth as people who are willing to, to endure whatever it is to grow in sanctification. pray that we would learn to see difficulty and hardship and, and um, just challenging days as, as a feature in the discipleship process, as a, as a blessing in the part of following you. We get to share in the suffering of Christ. We get to know that this world is not our home every day. Help us to be more and more like you in everything that we do. Amen. Have a good morning, folks.